This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Amen. And that is a great, great song um, for what we're going to be talking about today. So we are, if you're new today, we are in a series on 2 Timothy called Finish the Race. And we're walking through um, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and we have come to chapter 2 and verses 14 through 19 today. So if you'd open your Bibles uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look today at verses 14 through 19. Paul is uh, talking to Timothy here about what it means to be an, an, an approved worker, right? We're saved to serve. We're all working for the Lord. How do we work for him in a way that, that he would approved. That's what we're talking about today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look today at verses 14 through 19, if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to dig in and mine the treasures of, of your word, Lord, how we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that there are just beautiful things that can happen when there are open Bibles and open hearts. And so, Lord, give us an openness to what you would do in our lives today. Lord, we're listening. We need you. We desire to hear from you. We pray that you would work in our lives in ways that only you can. Lord, do deep, deep, lasting work in our lives today. Your, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it penetrates, gets down deep, and, and does healing and surgery and things that we desperately need. And so, Lord, do that today for your glory's sake, and may Christ be honored. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, as a trustee with the International uh, Mission Board, one of the things that I had to learn uh, was to, to kind of speak the proper language, the proper IMV uh, language. And there are certain words that you say and certain ones that you don't say. And ironically, at the International Mission Board, one of the words that you don't say is the term missionary. And the reason for that is because where a lot of our people are in the world, missionary is just not a great term to be thro throwing around. And so we, we learn to, to call them our 
workers. And that comes actually from the words of Jesus in Matthew 9 and verses 37 and 38. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. But what kind of workers do we want to send out into the harvest? This week I have some trustee meetings and we'll get to see missionaries that will walk across the stage and share their testimony. And they have been approved by us as trustees to go to the nations. But listen, the most important approval is not the approval that the IMB trustees give. We're only approving people who are giving evidence of a far more important approval, and that is that they are approved by God as workers for him. And that's what Paul's talking about here in our text today. He he, he tells Timothy to, to be a worker, a worker approved by God. And in a larger way, even though this, this text has a special reference, you know, to, uh, to pastors and Christian leaders and things, in a larger way, all of us are working for the Lord because all of us are saved to serve. So how do we serve our king in a way that he would approve. Let's talk about that. So what do we see here in this text? First of all, we see something about the diligence of an approved worker in verses 14 and 15. Let's look at it together. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Wow, there's so much here. Let's kind of work our way through verses 14 and 15. So he says in verse 14 to Timothy, remind them, or really the tense is keep reminding them of these things. Well, what things? The things that he just talked about. And we saw last week, Paul has just finished uh, telling Timothy, you know, to, to remind the, the believers at Ephesus uh, about, about things like endurance and perseverance and the grave consequences of apostasy, of turning away from Christ. Because he, see, these people had seen that. He mentions the names of, of two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus here, that had done that very thing. They had departed from the faith. And the, and, the, and the Christians at Ephesus had seen those defections. And so Paul says to Timothy, listen, you've got to keep reminding them of these things. Just like a, a, a nurse that has to keep administering the antibiotic until the infection is gone. You've got to keep reminding them of these things. And then to, to charge them, he says, again in verse 14, and charge them before God not to fight about words. Not that the word charge means to warn, right? Or warn them before God. Listen, if your neighbor's house is on fire and smoke is pouring out of the windows and you just kind of walk by their house on your merry way and you don't stop, warn them, you're not a very loving neighbor. And so part of love 
for someone who's teaching the word of God. Part of love is to warn people. That's part of the job of a pastor. Sometimes to say things that maybe you don't necessarily want to hear, but you need to hear because it's the warning that you desperately need. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, in this case, he says in verse 14 that you're, you're, to, you're to charge them, warn them before God not to fight about words. Now, this takes us back to the nature of the false teaching that had invaded the church at Ephesus. It was this quarreling about words. We've seen this over and over again in First and Second Timothy. And, the, you know, words are important. Right when we think about like the Council of Ni- Nicaea, right? Um, the, the the difference between one or two words in, in a creed was the difference between an orthodox view of the Trinity and a heretical view of the Trinity. So words can be important, but listen, the the false teachers in Ephesus were they were into myths, they were into legends, they were into like secret code words buried in Old Testament uh, genealogies and things. It was a bunch of nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. And, 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 but they were provoking quarrels over this nonsense, and they were leading, uh, leading people to absolute ruin in their faith. And so we saw this throughout 1 Timothy, didn't we? Look at some key passages that we saw in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says there, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations. We're going to see that term again today. Empty Empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Again, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 6, verses 4 and 5, speaking of the false teachers. He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. And then he ended 1 Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21 by saying, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent, we'll see that again today, and empty, we'll see it again today, speech, and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. So listen, Satan is a deceiver and a distractor. He loves to divert our minds and hearts from what matters and and, and distract them and put them on nonsense. For instance, today, he would love nothing more than for you to get your head out of your Bible and into some online nonsense, some babble that you see on social media or the internet. And this is an absolute catastrophe spiritually. You know, we see in verse, in verse 14, again, he says this is useless and leads to the, the ruin of those who listen. The, the Greek word there that is translated as ruin 
sounds a lot like the English word catastrophe. And that's with good reason. That's where the word catastrophe comes from. It comes from the Greek word here that's translated as ruin. It, it, this was catastrophic for, for, for these people spiritually. It was an absolute train wreck, a catastrophe that had been caused by this false teaching and by the willingness of some to listen to it. That was a problem. He says here in verse 14, he says, this is useless and leads to the ruin of who? Of those who listen. You are responsible for what you let into your mind, for what you listen to, for the advice that you take and who you take it from. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the, invi- in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Who do you listen to? How happy is the one who listens to God's word, not to the advice of the wicked but who listens to God's word and meditates on God's instruction day and night and letting it get down deep into your life, your mind, and renew your mind. And so you can mind the treasures of God's word and listen to that, or you can listen to nonsense and godless babble and waste your life, ruin your soul. Look at verse 15. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching the word of truth. Wow, what a great, what a great verse. Um, <laughs> I think I remember as a kid, as a little kid, memorizing this in the, in the, in the King James <laughs> Um and uh, and in the in the King James, let's see if I can go back to my Bible Bible drill <laughs> days, kids Sunday school. But in the King James, it says it says study to study to show, or in King James, study to shoe. Right, it's King James for show, right? Not not S H O E, but S H E W. So study to shoe. I'm pretty sure my parents. Uh, Use this verse on me to help me make me do my homework a time or two uh, growing up. Study, study to shew thyself um, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of, of, of truth. Um, and so has a nice ring to it, but not the most accurate translation of verse 15. You know, the King James, listen, remarkably accurate translation for 1611. But we have a lot more resources now to help us in, in, in translation. So, you know, look, if you were on a desert island and you had nothing but a King James Version of the Bible, uh, you'd be fine. It, it's remarkably accurate for its time, but there are verses where, uh, you know, the modern translations, the, the better modern translations really uh, are, are far better. This is one of them, okay? So, the first part of the verse here actually does not talk about studying, right? It's not, it's, it's, the, the word here is not best translated as study to show. The word here really does mean, it means diligence. It means 
uh, making your best effort, means working hard. The word here means in, uh, enthusiasm, eagerness, zeal, right? So as we serve the Lord, we're to be diligent about that. We're to be enthusiastic and zealous and eager to serve and, and making our best effort. Now, if you're if you're, you know, a, a, a pastor like me, one of the things that you definitely need to be diligent about and be enthusiastic about is study. But the, the actual word here, the best translation is not study. It, it's, it really, it's diligence, right? Making, making your best effort to do what? Let's follow it. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God. God as one approved. Now, that word approved there means tried and true, tried and tested. It's like metal, metal that has been tested and, and it's revealed to be genuine. And whose approval are we seeking? Approved by God. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. It is, it is his approval and his alone that, that we ultimately seek. I was reading about the audience for the Super Bowl today. It's estimated to be that it will be over 200 million people in America alone in the audience. But you know, as followers of Christ, what we should really care about is an audience of one. We, we are seeking God's approval, right? We want to be pleasing to him. We want to be a worker approved by him in, 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 in whatever we do, whatever we do. Look at um, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. Paul says there, whatever you do, okay, whatever your vocation is, Whatever your vocation is, whatever job you have, you know, or whether your job, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a student at this point or you're, you're in school, whatever, whatever you do, he says, do it from the heart as something done for who? The Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve who? The Lord Christ. This is a game changer. Because it means that, you know, whatever, whatever you do, whatever your vocation is, whatever your, your job is, whatever God has assigned, assigned you to be right now in your station in life, whatever you do, ultimately, you're doing it for him, for his glory, ultimately for an audience of one. You're, ser you're serving the Lord. You're, you're working for him. So we want to do that in a, in a way that he would approve, right? It's for his honor and glory. But when it comes to uh, those who teach the word of God, the way that we do that as one approved, as one who is not ashamed, is to teach the word of God accurately. And that's what he says here at the end of the verse. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Now, again, in the King James I memorized as a child, it's rightly dividing the word of, of truth. So 
it kind of conjures up a metaphor in your mind, but it's the wrong metaphor. Um, so if you think about dividing, right, you used to hear all kinds of illustrations about, you know, pastors kind of like you're, you're kind of slicing up the bread and distributing it to people, right, rightly dividing the word of truth. But actually here, the best translation is to accurately, correctly teach because the word here literally means to cut straight, to cut straight. You want your pastor or whoever is teaching the word of God to cut it straight. That's the meaning here, right? To, 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 to cut it straight when it comes to the word. Now, the false teachers had done the opposite of that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But to diligently cut straight the word of God. So the, the diligence of an approved worker. All right, second, the discernment of an approved worker. Let's check out um, 16. So he says, <clears throat> avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godliness. Now, again here, He's talking about the, the false teachers who had been in Ephesus and the kind of junk uh, that they had been into and what had, what had come about in the congregation as a result of it. So he's saying, Timothy, avoid that stuff. Avoid irreverent and empty speech. So the word irreverent here would mean godless. These guys, these false teachers were, were godless. Irreverent and their speech was also, in addition to being godless and irreverent, it was empty. They, they, they gave a pretense of knowledge, but it wasn't true knowledge. It wasn't the truth. It was like, the, it was like uh, what Jude 12 talks about, clouds without water. It was a bunch of babble. It was nonsense. Empty. And then he tells us about the effect of this stuff. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godliness. More and more godliness. This is a very graphic phrase here in the original. And what it means is it means it has a meaning of like forward progress in the wrong direction. You remember, have you ever, maybe in the days before GPS or whatever, just you're making progress, but you're going the wrong way? I remember one time um, in my, my, back in my 20s, but um, I had been with some friends, one of my, my best friends and, and his, uh, my best friend's uh, girlfriend, and the three of us had gone up to Richmond to see R.E.M. in concert, and so we got out of the concert in Richmond, and we're coming back to Tidewater, and so we get in the car, it's late, you know, and I, I, I drifted off to sleep pretty quickly, and, and, uh, and this girl's uh, boyfriend, my friend, who was in the passenger seat, he drifted off as well. So his girlfriend's driving the car. And I woke up like a couple hours later, looked at my watch, and I'm thinking, why are we still driving? Like, should be back in Tidewater by, by now. What's... And so I look out the window of the car, and I'm, I'm seeing signs outside that indicate we're, we're deep down into the heart of North Carolina. And like, what are, you, what are you doing? Forward progress in the wrong direction. 
That's what he's saying here. Incidentally, one of the favorite expressions of the false teachers was they would, they, they would tell people, you're making progress. Yeah, it was progress in the wrong direction. Verse 17. In, a, in, in two letters, First and Second Timothy, filled with medical images. And this is another one, a particularly graphic one in verse 17. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. It was like sepsis from a wound, just spreading. And when you think about today, you know, the prosperity gospel, which started with a, with a few TV preachers in America, has spread now all over Africa, all over Latin America, just spread like gangrene. That's what this stuff does. And then in verse 18, he talks about one of their specific heresies here. He says they've departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Now, he's not talking here about the resurrection of Christ, which had already taken place. What they were denying was the, the resurrection of believers when Christ returns. And they were saying that, oh, this has already taken place. You know, that but they were probably buying into some kind of a Greek philosophy that said the body is evil. And so the goal should be for the body to be separated from the soul. And so they denied the, the, the absolute foundational truth of the faith that when, that when Christ comes again, believers are going to be raised with glorified bodies. And so they were denying an essential part of the Christian faith. Now we see this, and um, Paul had to dealt, deal with this in multiple places. Um, 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, the resurrection has already taken place. Again, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verses 12 through 14, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Right at the heart of the Christian faith is is resurrection. The resurrection of Christ, yes, but the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Believers are also going to be raised with glorified bodies when Christ returns, and a denial of that is a departure from the faith. And notice here that he says in, in, um, in verse 18, when he says here, they have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the, 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 the faith of some. That word departed in verse 18, another translation, you could translate it as swerve. right? So they have swerved from the faith. Now remember, this isn't opposed to the, the approved worker who, who does what? Accurately teaches the word of truth, cuts it straight. These guys have swerved and gone off the road to, to utter to, at catastrophe, and they brought other people with them. What 
What's the best way to be able to discern error? It's to know the truth. To know the truth. To, to, so we, we need to be accurately taught the truth. And we need a steady stream of that. We need to be immersing ourselves into the truth of God's word. We need to be consistently attending, being a part of a a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church where our minds are getting constant doses of truth so that we're not going to fall into error, so that we can discern error. Because to swerve from that is, is a catastrophe. I remember my dad, um, this is when I was maybe, I don't know, junior high age, if that. But um, there had been a, a terrible single car accident. And it was uh, t- teenagers in a car, and uh, several of them. Um, they were all killed. And uh, th- what had happened was that the driver had, had swerved, swerved off the road, and, and the car had hit a tree. But he knew, where the, he knew where the wrecked car was. And I'll never forget, he took me there the next day. He wanted me to see it. He wanted me to see the result because he knew I was going to be a driver in a few years. He wanted me to see the, here's what happens when, when you swerve off the road. That's what had happened here. These guys had swerved, swerved away from the truth, and, and, and it was a catastrophe. And so we need discernment, the discernment of an approved worker. Third, the foundation of an approved worker. Check out uh, verse 19. He says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. So it says, God's solid foundation stands firm. So if you remember from uh, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul called the church the foundation of the truth. He says, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And Paul is saying here that despite all of the assaults on the church, persecution from the outside that they were going through, I mean, just imagine it. These early believers, they're going through horrible brutal persecution from unbelievers on the outside, and then they're having to deal with the attack of these, this false teaching that had, had infiltrated certain churches like Ephesus from the inside. But he says, despite all of that, God's solid foundation stands firm because Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says it stands firm and it bears... A, a, a seal with a twofold inscription on the seal. And he says the first inscription is the Lord knows those who are his. Now this comes from the Old Testament, from number 16. And it comes from a time when a man named Korah led a rebellion of 250 men against uh, Moses. And Moses says, you know, it's okay, the Lord knows those who are his. And what's happened, what's happened here? You have these false teachers that have, have departed from the, the Lord, you know, pretending to be his, but they were not his. So this is, the Lord knows those who are his. He sees the heart. 
We can't see the heart, but what we can see is fruit. <laughs> and that's the second inscription that we see here in verse 19. Let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. To call upon the name of the Lord is to repent, to turn. And repentance is not just kind of feeling sorry that we've made a mess of things. It's not just feeling uh, sad because of where our lives, lives are. No, it's turning. It's turning from our sin. It's not wallowing in regret. No, it's turning. Turning to the Lord who makes things new. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 says, For sadness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret, but worldly sadness brings about death. In Acts 3 and verses 19 and 20, it says, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out so that seasons of refreshing, I love that, seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord Oh, friend, listen to me. There's seasons of refreshing. You may be here today and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. There's seasons of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord, but you've got to turn to the Lord. Turn from sin and turn to him and experience the new thing the seasons of refreshing, the new life and forgiveness of sins, the fresh beginning that you need, turn to him. For some of you, that means turning to Jesus as your savior and Lord and king. Christ, who died for sinners like us, that we can have new life, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that all things can become new. Christ, who is risen from the dead, that we might have eternal life, turn to him. Christian, quit trying to find your satisfaction in drinking from the empty, toxic cisterns of this world and turn to Christ where you will find the water of life. Turn to him. Repent. What is it that's hindering your fellowship with the Lord today? Turn from that. Turn to that, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before you now, we pray for that. Oh God, how we pray that your spirit would convict work and hearts and lives now. Father, for people who are in this room or people who are watching a stream or within the hearing of this message that do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, Father, would you do as you did in Lydia's heart, open hearts to respond to the good news of the gospel. Lord, right now, for your glory, open hearts. Draw people to yourself. Make people new. Cause people to repent and turn to Jesus and trust him and welcome him into their lives. Lord, would you do a work in your people? Would you do a work in believers? Lord, there things, could be things in our lives that are hindering, hindering our walk with you, hindering our intimacy with you, our fellowship with you that don't need to be there. 
things that we need to turn from, repent of. Lord, would you do that? We pray as the psalmist prays that you would see if there would be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, put the probe light into our lives. Reveal to us our blind spots. Things that we need to turn from and turn to you that our, our intimacy, our fellowship with you would be right and restored and sweet and as it should be. Lord, help us as we, to understand that as we serve in whatever capacity that you've put us in in life, Lord, whether it's in, in our jobs or in our homes or in our schools or the, the service that we render to you through the body of Christ in our church, that, Lord, whatever we do, Lord, we do it for you. Lord, help us to do it with enthusiasm, eagerness, zeal. You are deserving of nothing less. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank God. His mer- Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.